You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. We're going, currently going through a, a series entitled uh, Set in Stone. And we're, we're preaching through these different stories in the Bible that involve uh, stones, literal stones. And it's remarkable how many stories in the scripture involved stones, that, that stones were all often used to represent. They were uh, symbolic. They were there to teach us something about the character of God and how he's acted in history. This is our Lent series. And Lent occurs 40 days before Easter. It's a time that invites us to prepare and to examine ourselves in light of Easter, to remind us that indeed Easter matters, that Jesus' death and resurrection still is the most significant event in history, and our lives ought to be reorientated around that event. That's why we do Lent, uh, to prepare to examine ourselves in light of Easter. So if you joined us on the first Sunday of Lent, uh, Jeremy preached on written in stone, and he looked at the Ten Commandments. Last week, we looked at monuments of stone, where we exemplified God's faithfulness, and you were asked just to build a monument up here. This is what it looks like. God's faithfulness. These are here. These are monuments reminding us of God's faithfulness to us and God's faithfulness to us as a church. And if you missed last week, you might have seen all the rocks still outside. You are more than welcome after the service to come up and put your stone in the monument. Again, just signifying God's faithfulness. We talked about monuments of stone. And this week, as Todd just read, we are talking about the heart of stone. And so I brought this stone here. I don't know. Looks pretty good, hey? They say your heart is the size of your fist. So I picked this one out. But what I want to make sure that you hear and see today is this heart is no longer with me. God has taken it out, as Ezekiel says. Friends, this is one of these texts that you almost don't want to preach on because you don't want to take away from the power of Ezekiel's words here. Let me just read it for us one more time. Verse 24, For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. What this text is describing is conversion. Conversion simply means to change. Note the verse, note verse 27. So that you will follow my ways and be careful to obey my regulations. Ezekiel is describing a people who once discarded God's ways. And they are now following God's ways. What happened? There was a conversion. There was a change. 
from not following God's ways to following God's ways, this text describes a conversion. And there's two drives here that Ezekiel is driving towards that we're going to talk about today. Number one, behavior follows the heart. Behavior follows the heart. We cannot expect people to follow God without first being converted. Second drive of the text. We can't expect anything to happen out there unless we are willing and prepared to allow God to do a mighty work in here. Two drives the text. Behavior change follows heart change. And we can't expect anything to change out here. We can't expect the external to change unless I'm willing to invite God to change me here. And friends, what I want to remind you this morning is simply this. Jesus is still in the ministry of heart transformation. This promise here that Ezekiel gives is ultimately fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ. This text is describing what happens to a person when they encounter the resurrected Lord and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Their stony heart is removed and God gives them a heart of flesh. It is no coincidence that the Greek word used by the New Testament authors for conversion means not just a change of mind, but what? A change of heart. Conversion is a change of heart. As people were writing the New Testament, I bet they had this text in mind when they used the word conversion. It is not just a change of mind. It is a change of heart. What this text is describing is something, friends, that if we're honest, is hard to explain. But is it ever easy to see? Conversion, the life change that happens when we encounter and respond to the person of Jesus Christ. And friends, my prayer for you today is that Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, would minister to you like only he can. That he would minister to your heart. Listen, my words are just going to be mere words unless the Holy Spirit takes them and speaks powerfully to your heart. And that's my prayer for you this morning. We're going to look at this text, and the first thing I'm going to do is just make two observations about this text, and the second thing I'm going to do is just make two applications for us about this text. So two observations. Number one, the text diagnoses the problem that plagues humanity. The text diagnoses the problem that plays, hum, plagues humanity, and the problem is that humanity needs a heart transplant. 
Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and I will take out your heart of stone. Up to this point, Ezekiel the prophet has painted a grim picture of reality. It is one of society imploding, turning against each other, ignoring the poor and the vulnerable. To sum up the 31st, 35 chapters of Ezekiel, it is the society who does this. They live as thy please. They live as thy please. And Ezekiel comes into this reality and he warns them and he's been ignored. And now he's delivering the verdict. This nation will fall and go into exile. And just so God's people know why this is happening, Ezekiel makes it clear here in verse 36. It is because of your stony, stubborn heart. Friends, there's a growing conviction stirring in my life as of late, as I continue to engage with people. And it's simply this, people need spiritual healing. People need spiritual healing. And as Christine said today, I see it, people are ready. People are hungry. But if you're like me, friends, we misplace that hunger. We think that we need to solve the problem by solving the physical or solving the social economic problem in our country or in our life. But what the deeper need of the human heart is, is spiritual. We've ignored the spiritual. And people today ultimately need spiritual healing. Mark 7 verse 20, Jesus says this, the problem comes from within. It's not out there. The problem comes within. It is the human heart. Jesus echoes what Ezekiel diagnoses. The problem is the heart of stone. What is the heart of stone? Well, the heart of stone just simply means this, spiritually dead, unresponsive, unreceptive to God. Jesus is boring. Jesus is irrelevant. He certainly is not someone to be treasured and pursued and sought after with everything that I have. I prefer popularity. I prefer success. I prefer money. I prefer to live as I please. We see this in Ezekiel, this disregard for God this disregard for God's ways, this is the heart of stone, dead spiritually. God says, I will take out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Well, what is the heart of flesh? Well, number one, it is a heart that is receptive and responsive to God. You can't change a hard heart, can you? but you can mold and shape and change a heart of flesh because that heart is alive. See, the heart in, in Scripture is, is always connected with, with, with the source of our being. The heart is what gives us life. In his, in his gospel, John sums up Jesus' life and ministry with just these simple words, in him was life, joy, peace, 
freedom, lightness in your step, purpose, security for the future, and I can go on and on. Life. The heart of flesh signifies life. The text is emphasizing conversion, that a fundamental change has taken place within the person. The heart of stone has been replaced with the heart of flesh, dead to alive. And we know, friends, that Jesus is about life, giving back what the enemy stole. And again, I just want to remind you this morning that Jesus is still in the ministry of heart transformation. Observation number one, Ezekiel diagnoses the real problem. Observation number two, God's action versus our response. I want you to read this text with me and I want you to count how many you wills are on this text and how many I wills are in this paragraph. Let's do this together. Verse 24. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your faith will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulation. I don't know about you, but I counted six I wills and three you wills. What's being emphasized in this passage? God's action. God's action. And notice, my friends, that the you wills come out of a response to the I will. God acts, I respond. This is the dynamic of conversion. Yes, I respond. But God does the work that I cannot do. God helps those who help themselves is not biblical. Be a good person and God will accept you is not biblical. I've gone too far and I've done too much. God wants nothing to do with me. This is not biblical. See, Christian faith is not a works-based faith, but a grace-based faith. Grace means an undeserved gift. I don't earn this gift. I don't deserve this gift. I receive this gift. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot do heart surgery on myself. This is only something that God can do. Look at me with verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Like Ezekiel, David writes a popular verse and you've probably heard it, Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me. I'm inviting God to act on my heart. Create on me. I'm being worked on. God is doing the creation. 
There is a story in the Gospels about this woman who had been bleeding for, for 12 years. And she would have been labeled unclean. She would have been isolated from community. She would have been ignored by the religious establishment. She would have been viewed as far from God. What she heard her whole life is that you are unclean. And after she touches Jesus' robe, she is healed. She experiences an undeniable change in her life. And what does Jesus declare? You are clean. The encounter with Jesus is what made her clean. If I say to you, what makes you pure? And don't answer this out loud. You can if you want. But what comes to mind when I say, what makes you pure? And I almost guarantee that it is a set of behaviors or a do this and a don't do that. And it's whether or not you did or you didn't do something. Friends, this is the great myth of the church. We have preached morality over the gospel. When people encounter Jesus, they experience an undeniable change. I will sprinkle clean water on you and what? You will be cleaned. And friends, more than ever, we, the church, need a fresh encounter with our risen Savior through the power of the Holy Spirit to do that which we cannot do. Change the heart. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be cleaned. Jesus said, you must be born again. And he said this to Nicodemus, who was a, a Pharisee, and Nicodemus is scratching his head going, how is this possible? And Nicodemus rightly asserted that. How is this possible? Because friends, what's emphasized in this text is that it is not possible by natural means, only by supernatural means. God does the work. I cannot change my heart. Only the Spirit of God can. Jesus teaches us that conversion is not a natural event, but it is a supernatural event. God acting on the human heart. I can remember listening to a friend of mine. He's in his 70s now, and he was a medical doctor up in Meadow Lake, and he felt convicted to start a Bible study for drug addicts and for alcoholics in his home. <laughs> he recognized, like our text said, that actually the problem isn't external. These are mere symptoms of a deeper issue. The problem is the human heart. And I remember him saying this to me. And it was kind of one of those moments. It just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Here's what he said. I've seen miracles 
In my medical profession, I've seen healing that I can't explain apart from God. However, seeing God change a person is still the greatest miracle that I have ever witnessed. Watching someone who was so angry and so lost and so hard with demons defeating and harassing them to being simply set free. That I can't explain apart from what the Bible teaches about being born again. And friends, again, today we need that reminder that God is ready and God can still do what we cannot do, change the heart. May it be so this morning. So observation number two, I will versus you will. Observation number one, the true diagnosis. And so here we go into our two applications. Application number one. We tend to emphasize decision whereas the Bible emphasizes conversion. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 27. Here, here, here's what I mean. We emphasize decision, whereas the Bible emphasizes conversion. Uh, we like to read this text without verse 27. So let me do that for you. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. You will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put my new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Let's take out verse 27. We say and think that because conversion is a work of God, it's a supernatural work of God, that it really doesn't matter how I live. That I check the box, I say the prayer, and I move on with my life. But that's not what the text says. The text actually says conversion is a work of God, so that you follow him and his ways, you have been changed. You have been fundamentally changed. There's no going back to the old life. You have received new life. You've been converted. As Scott McKnight writes, we've really emphasized a decision, and yes, the decision matters, but it's like we've unintentionally taught that that's all Jesus is interested in. We've emphasized a, a, a transaction, whereas Jesus calls us into a relationship. Follow me, I will make you a fisherman. Follow me and what? Be changed by me. The, the new heart makes you receptive and responsive to God. Jesus brings you into a relationship with him so that his spirit can do what only his spirit can do, mold and, and change and transform and create you into the person that he's called to be. This is conversion. Friends, Jesus isn't interested in a, tra in a transaction but indeed a relationship. He wants more than your Sunday. He wants your life. 
And I recognize that this may make some of you a, a little bit uncomfortable. And that may actually be the Spirit of God just getting a hold of you, tapping on your heart. Because friend, if you can't answer how deciding to follow Jesus has made a fundamental difference in your life, how it has fundamentally changed you, then I would simply ask you this question, what's going on in here? What's going on in here? Friends, there is a big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There are many today in the church who know lots about Jesus, but do not know him as their personal Lord and Savior. Maybe I could illustrate it like this. One of our prayer team members sent me this uh, a few weeks ago, and I really do see it as a vision for the church, for us, for the people. She said this, I, I think we're moving into a time when we need to be in the ministry of demonstration before explaining. I love hanging out with young adults. And I'm gonna tell you something, church. Young adults are hungry for more than just cognitive understanding of God. Young people wanna see that what happens in scripture happen today. And I love that hunger. I think of the, the blind man in John chapter nine. His demonstration was his explanation, right? Jesus healed him. And it was almost hard for him to explain it. How do you explain the unexplainable, right? You were blind, and now I see. And the man kept saying to the Pharisees, Jesus did it. It's hard to explain the unexplainable, but man, is it ever easy to see. Friend, let me ask you this. Is your life a testament to God's power and work or a mere theoretical explanation of it? Is your life a testament to God's power and work or a mere theoretical explanation of it? I don't know if you saw this, but in January and February, we witnessed several baptisms here at E-Free, and the resounding theme was this. I saw what Jesus did in that person's life, and that's why I decided to be baptized. It was a demonstration followed by an explanation. How many of us grow up in homes where mom and dad know a lot about Jesus, and know a lot about the Bible. They can explain a lot of things, but I guarantee you their explanation is not going to convince their kids. It will be their demonstration of the gospel. Kids seeing their parents' life converted, changed, fundamentally different. 
Conversion means life change. This passage is about conversion. Encountering Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you the same. Is this true of your life? If not, then the simple question is, what's going on in here? And may I remind you of what we're doing this morning, just reminding each other that Jesus is still in the ministry of our transformation. The second one. One time versus continuous Conversion one time versus continuous. Whereas we can see from the text here that this is a one-time event, being changed is not. The Bible teaches a continuous work of God in our life, not a one end done. None of us have arrived. God is still doing that work of transformation. This is why some of the theologians embrace this. I was saved. I am saved. I will be saved. Again, emphasizing the continuous work of God in the Christian's life. Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work will carry it out to completion. Completion. At conversion, we receive a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel 26, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you. This has happened if you have received Christ. But then what does the Apostle Paul warn us about? He says this, you can resist the spirit of God, and you could quench the spirit of God. Quench means extinguish the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. The author of Hebrews says this, see to it that your hearts don't become hardened. 3.15, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Again, what's being emphasized? Friends, this is not a transaction. This is a relationship that we are called to nurture. It's a continuous thing, not a one-time thing. And so where I want to finish is just simply with some demonstration versus some explanation, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I think there's multiple ways that our heart can grow hard, and we could read about multiple ways in the scriptures, but I want to highlight two that I've seen in my own life and I've seen in the life of others. And the two things are sin and life disappointments. I'm going to share a little testimony on sin, and then my friend Doreen is going to share a testimony on life disappointment. Hebrews 3.13 says this, Encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For me personally, there's been a lot of good happening in the church uh, these last uh, few months. But over these last few months, it's, it's almost like there's been just like a, a cloud of discouragement following me. And I don't know why, because I'm like, life's going pretty good. You know, things are happening at church. Uh, it's awesome, but there's this, been this discouragement. So a couple of weeks ago, I went out for my neighborhood walk 
where if you ran into me, you'd probably think I'm a crazy person. I don't know about you guys, but I find that I'm talking to myself more, but especially on those walks, you know, because it's kind of like my prayer walk. Oh, man. And I went out with God. I said, God, I want to talk about this discouragement. And it's amazing in our prayer life as like we have kind of an agenda. All right, God, deal with this. And then God gets us through our prayer onto his agenda. God, I want to talk about this discouragement and this dissatisfaction. Like what's going hard? What's going on? And it's hard to describe, but as I was praying, it was like God stopped me and just simply said this. Yeah, you want to talk about that. I want to talk about your covetousness. You, you've been spending a lot of time thinking and wishing that you had your neighbor's life. And when God said that to me, it was like, boom, 100%. This person, real person, I was starting to wish that I had their job. I wish that I had that kind of time that they had to be with their family and do resources to go out and do things with their family. I was wishing that my wife didn't have MS. I was wishing ultimately that I just had this guy's life. And it was this wish, I mean, that's where it started, but just over time, it moved from wishing and spending a lot of time thinking about my neighbor's life to actually just simply saying, I want his life. Friends, this is the sin of covetousness. And I was tell you over that time, I was starting to reveal some symptoms, discouragement, dissatisfaction, irritable. Why? Because sin was hardening my heart. Friends, sin doesn't lead to life. And God was so bang on with me that night. I confessed it that night, but it didn't hit me right away. It was that following Monday when I described this prayer walk to my friend and I just simply told him and all of a sudden, it was honestly like the heart of stone was gone because all of a sudden I was just speaking gratitude to him. There was this one line that got me. And I could barely say it. I will take Ruthie and her MS over anybody else. And in that moment with my friend, after I shared that confession, it was actually like I believed that I actually had everything that I needed because I had a shepherd and I need nothing else. Friends, it's hard to describe what happened to me. But it's easy to see. I experienced what God describes. Don't let your heart get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
And perhaps some of you this morning have symptoms of a deeper issue. You've allowed sin just to germinate and to harden your heart. And so like I've been reminding throughout this whole sermon, God is still in the ministry of heart transformation and he is ready this morning, my friend. The second way we become hardened towards God is through life's disappointments. And I recognize that this is a tender one. And I do believe that God will minister to you in his timing and in his way. But I don't want to shy away from talking about it because I've seen it so often in my own life and the life of other people when life doesn't go the way we expected. It's easy for us to become hard. But again, I don't want to explain it. I want to demonstrate it. So I'll invite Doreen to share. Hi, my name is Doreen Van Ham. I've been attending eFree for almost 10 years. Um, I grew up in a Christian home and a good Christian home with solid parents. Um, they were elders at the church that we were attending, um, part of the leadership team there and served in various ways. And I was the youngest of four children. At the age of 13, my parents were killed in a car accident. And at the time, we were very cushioned um, by the, the community around us at the church and just really well taken care of and by family as well. And um, I did okay during that time. Um, I think part of it too, you're, you're a teenager and it's the world's about you and I had good friends and I was taken care of. And then about three years after that, at around age 16, I began to become angry at God. And I remember just being mad that and thinking, you say you're a loving God, but you allowed my parents to, to die. And I remember thinking, I'm an orphan. Like, how is this loving? And um, so I just, I continued to attend church during that time though, but my heart was not there. I was, I was very angry and um, just deciding to do what I wanted to do. I definitely went through rebellion. So during that time, my heart grew harder and harder. And it came out more so, I would say, almost through outward rebellion. Um, so I was doing stuff that I was raised not to do. We were, I was drinking and um, going to parties and things like that, sneaking out of the house with my friends. I know it was hard on my family and they were very concerned just with what they were seeing around and seeing my, the, the choices I was making. And I didn't know at the time, but I found out later that they were actually meeting weekly to pray for me. Um, I also know that other people in the church were taking me out for coffee out of concern and out of love for me. And you know, it was nice to go for coffee, but it was like, I don't need this. I don't want this. I know for them, it was a hard time. It was very concerning what I was going through and what I was, the choices I was making. About three years later, around age 19, we went to a evening church service. And I remember um, as the pastor did like an altar call to come up if you wanted prayer or give your life to the Lord. I remember just sitting in our row with our family and just thinking, 
God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done not serving you. I'm done not having you in my life. I want you back. I just remember the incredible peace that came over me because that whole three years of going through that, I did not have peace. And I remember feeling that almost anxious. It's like, I don't have peace. And then that night when I just said, God, I'm done. The peace that overwhelmed me was amazing. And I rededicated my life to the Lord that night. And it just, I knew it was right. And I knew that this is what God wanted. And I've never questioned, I would say since, his love for me. However, I have still, to this day, I struggle with trusting him. And I struggle with fear at times. And um, this is part of my journey. It's gotten better at times and then other times it's, it's hard, but it's a journey. But I'm thankful for what he's brought me through and that he changed my heart to desire him and long for him. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.